0: Money FM eighty nine point three, the best of prime time.
1: In the spotlight on Money FM eighty nine point three. Thanks for joining us on Prime Time. You're with Bharati Jagdish and Timothy Goh tracking some of the stories making the headlines this week and the things that you should be watching. Jonathan Fruin joins us to help us out. He is senior journalist with the BBC World Service Partner Hub in London. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Jonathan, here's the thing. We're all bracing ourselves for the new year, mostly for festivities. But if you take into account what's happening in China this year, it is likely to have a lot of political and economic repercussions as well. How are you guys viewing it in your part of the world?
0: Well, that's right. Obviously, it's the Chinese Year of the Rabbit. It's a major celebration, the big annual holiday event. And it's going to be very different to the last few years since China largely abandoned its zero COVID approach a few weeks ago following widespread protests against that policy. Before the pandemic, holidays in China around this time of the year were seen as the world's largest annual migration of people. And of course... China's borders were heavily controlled for much of the last three years, with strict quarantine periods in place for people visiting. But that's now largely been dismantled, meaning Chinese people living overseas can more freely return home and visit relatives, which is likely to be joy for anyone returning for the first time in years. But it comes with a fairly substantial downside, and that is the risk of a major spread of coronavirus across the country as China's 1.4 billion people come together to celebrate again. The World Health Organization has warned of the risk stemming from holiday traveling, and the UN agency has previously said that China's heavily underreported deaths from covid although chinese officials refute that suggestion now health authorities in china had been reporting five or fewer covid deaths a day over the past month but over the weekend revealed there have been 60,000 covid related deaths in just over a month the first major death toll release since the country stopped its zero COVID policy. The earlier figures seemed somewhat inconsistent with reports of long queues seen at funeral homes and body bags being seen coming out of crowded hospitals. Now, moving forward, China is also only planning to issue COVID fatality data on a monthly basis. So there are certainly risks associated with this new, more relaxed approach, but I'm sure many Chinese citizens will be absolutely thrilled to be able to celebrate with their families properly again for the first time in a long time. Well, that's, uh, you know, they've probably seen the rest of the world doing the same thing as well, trying to, uh, well, in the beginning, struggling to live with COVID-19. But now it seems like all of us are doing just fine as long as we're vaccinated. Uh, But what is the situation in terms of uh, vaccination there that has the rest of the world a little bit more concerned? Well, uh, that's right. Uh, China's been playing catch up in terms of vaccinations with the rest of the world a lot of older people are reluctant to get vaccinated and also the scientists argue that uh, the Chinese vaccines that have been used are not as efficacious as those used in other parts of the world Mm.
1: in fact you know Jonathan I just wanted to point something out we have been receiving reports that a lot of Chinese are coming to Singapore to get the mRNA vaccines
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Mm. Are you guys seeing anything similar in your part of the world?
0: Not that I've been aware of, I have to say.
1: Right, right. So let's talk about how this might unfold in the coming weeks and months.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, Obviously, we've got these cases rising rapidly. The Chinese aren't recording the data so much anymore. But uh, it's certainly an issue that we've got to keep an eye on. Health officials have estimated that it could be two or three months before the COVID cases peak in China.
1: Yeah, that's certainly a situation we'll all be watching all around the world, and hopefully there will be some equilibrium at some point. Now, so here's something else that's making the headlines. On Friday, Western defense ministers are due to gather in Germany for a meeting to discuss the supply of weapons to Ukraine. What should we know about this particular meeting at this point, Jonathan?
0: Yes, there have been a number of these meetings. It's called a Ramstein meeting since the first one in April last year, held at the U.S.'s Ramstein Air Base in Germany. It's officially a meeting of what's called the Ukraine Defense Contact Group, which has met elsewhere and virtually, though this is the third one being held at Ramstein Air Base. The ministers are coming together to look at how they can further help Ukraine in its war with Russia. Ukraine's defense minister will also be in attendance. And this is interesting because there is quite a big debate ongoing at the moment over the scale and scope of defense equipment that the West should supply to Ukraine. One of the big issues right now is over the supply of tanks. Thus far, Ukraine's been relying on old Soviet-era technology for use by its armed forces. France, Germany, and the U.S. have recently said they're willing to send lightweight armored vehicles to Ukraine. But Ukraine is keen to get its hand on modern Western tanks to boost its capabilities. Poland has said it wants to send German Leopard 2 tanks which uh, needs approval from Germany in order for it to re-export them. Germany's prior opposition to that appears to have softened, and it was confirmed after a call between Britain's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky that the UK is planning to send initially around 14 of its Challenger 2 tanks, though at the moment the US appears reticent to send its Abrams tank into battle into Ukraine. And mm-hmm. th- th- there were also reports late last week that Germany is now likely to send Leopard 2 tanks of its own. The German and US defense ministers were due to meet a day ahead of the Ramstein meeting on Friday, although Germany's defense minister has resigned today. And it looks as though this tank issue will be one of the key items on the aden- agenda at Ramstein. But uh, one caveat the company that would prepare Leopard 2 tanks for Germany to send to Ukraine says it could take up to a year for them to be prepared out of storage now you may remember the u.s agreed to supply ukraine with its patriot air and missile defense system just a few weeks ago and it's worth keeping in mind that all told western allies have provided significant firepower and defense capability to ukraine since the conflict began last february okay uh jonathan so ukraine wants to be part of the western nato alliance of course but its uh, defense minister also said that it is a de facto member of nato now so what what is happening there Well, that's right. Alexei Reznikov said that was the case, given Western nations are continuing to supply weapons for his country's war against Russia. NATO Mm -hmm. membership has long been seen as a goal by Ukraine and, of course, something of a threat by Russia. NATO countries have been supplying weapons to Ukraine to defend itself against what they see as a war of aggression, and Russia's allies say President Putin is fighting NATO in Ukraine. But I think the claim that Ukraine is a de facto member of NATO is a bit of a stretch, really. Mm -hmm. The key thing to bear in mind is that under NATO's charter, an attack on one member is seen as an attack on all. So troops from other NATO countries would come to the defense of the country facing an aggressive threat. And we're still quite a long way from that level of commitment to Ukraine's defense from NATO members in the ongoing conflicts. But it's certainly going to be interesting to see what level of further weapon support is offered to Ukraine by Western allies at the Ramstein meeting, meeting later this week. And it feels like that sort of commitment continues to grow.
1: All right. We'll certainly be watching that one as well. Here's something else that is making the headlines. This week, the trial gets underway in Belarus of the opposition leader, Swetlana Svetlana. Tikhanovskaya. Tell us more about why this is significant at this point.
0: Well, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya is the partner of Sergei Tikhanovsky, who had planned to run against Belarus's president Lukashenko in the 2020 presidential election, but uh, he was detained before the vote. In the end, she ran for president instead and claimed victory in the presidential election in August that year, but fearing for her safety was forced into exile with her children the next day. Belarus received considerable support from Russia in keeping President Lukashenko in power after that election, and the two countries are seen as close allies. Now, Sergei Tikhanovsky was jailed in December 2021 for 18 years, convicted of organizing riots and other charges, following a trial that was widely condemned as a sham. And now Svetlana Tikhanovskaya and four other activists will go on trial themselves, charged variously with treason, rioting, creating an extremist organization, conspiracy to seize power, and calling for international sanctions. Now, note that they are all out of the Country, so are being tried in absentia. And mm-hmm. Svetlana Tikhanovskaya is expected to give a speech to the World Economic Forum, which is also taking place in Davos this week. What other high profile trials are happening there in Belarus? Well, uh, last year's Nobel Peace Prize winner, Alesby Ilyatsky, went on trial a couple of weeks ago. He was arrested in anti-government protests in 2021 and is accused of smuggling cash to fund opposition activity, according to the Viasna Human Rights Centre, which Alesby Ilyatsky founded. He's been in court alongside two fellow campaigners. The head of the Norwegian Nobel Committee said when awarding last year's prize that government authorities have repeatedly tried to silence Alesby Ilyatsky. He's received numerous human rights awards and previously spent three years in jail after being convicted on tax. Evasion charges that he always denied back in 2011. And then there's another case which Svetlana Tikhanovskaya has also been tweeting about in the past week. Last Monday, a court in Belarus began hearing the case of five former employees of the news website, Toot which took a leading role in covering mass protests against President Alexander Lukashenko three years ago. The defendants, including the editor-in-chief Marina Zolotova, are accused of undermining national security, inciting hatred and tax offences. Rights groups say it's yet another politically motivated case. Tikhanovskaya said at the beginning of that trial that, uh, quote, all two Dubai employees are the pride of Belarusian media. I know that the truth will win, but we must support our brave journalists. It's worth noting, of course, that while Svetlana Tikhanovskaya and her co-defendants are overseas, they all have to be pretty careful about their movements. You may remember back in 2021, the exiled opposition journalist, Roman Protasevich, and his girlfriend, Sofia Sopega, were arrested after the Ryanair flight that they were on, which had been flying over Belarusian airspace headed to Lithuania, was forced to land in Minsk when the country's air traffic control claimed that there was a bomb on board the flight, and that incident sparked quite widespread condemnation from around the world.
1: Thanks very much for your time today Jonathan appreciate it Jonathan Fruin he's senior journalist with the BBC World Service Partner Hub in London. Thanks for staying with us on Prime Time on Money FM89.3 To listen to more great interviews download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app that's awedio available on Google Play or the App Store.